So good evening, everyone. We will continue tonight with our discussion of the Satsandarbhas of Srila Jiva Goswami. We are reading in the Bhagavat Sandarbha, which is the second of his Sandarbhas, six Sandarbhas, Satsandarbhas, which have been presented by him in order to bring out the essence of the Sambandha Gyan, which will help us advance in spiritual life. According to our tradition, Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition, uh, the first Sandarbha, just for a little background, dealt with acquiring knowledge. We all like to know what's going on. So, Praman, Pramaya, it dealt with two things, the Bhagavad I mean the Dhatva Sandarbha. If we want to acquire knowledge, what is a valid way of acquiring knowledge? And then, since we have a valid way, if there is a valid way of acquiring truthful knowledge, then what's knowable? So Jiva established that of all the methods by which one can acquire knowledge, uh, the majority within the material realm deal with acquiring knowledge with our senses. In fact, we have five knowledge-acquiring senses. They come, they're built in. We have the ability to hear and see and smell, taste and touch. So we can acquire knowledge of the world around us by these senses. And then he proceeded to show us how that knowledge is not really reliable. It's not reliable because your perception of the world around you and my perception of the same world around us may be different. I may be hot and you may be cold. If you go to a court of law, the most unreliable evidence is first-hand evidence. It's shown to be that uh, two people can perceive the same exact incident and come up with different conclusions and present them at a court of law, both people think they're telling the truth. So he proceeded to show us how our senses are unreliable. Then he proceeded to, within the Tattvas and Dharma, provide information regarding valid ways of knowledge and the fact that there is knowledge that's descending from the spiritual realm. And that knowledge we can rely upon. And in the Indian tradition, that knowledge is referred to as the Veda. And it's a Purusheya, which means it is not of a human origin, if you can believe that. And he proceeds to give us some glimpses into that kind of knowledge to teach us that we can rely on it. We can actually rely on knowledge that doesn't come through our sense facility, that it has some significance. So if we're going to look to scriptural knowledge or descending knowledge, knowledge coming down from the heavens, if we're going to rely on that and accept it as reliable, then there's a lot of scriptures in the world. So which one are we going to choose? Which one would we choose? Which one is most reliable? And which one gives us the best understanding of 
the whole gamut of knowledge. And Jiva Goswami then takes some great pains in his Tatvas and Dharma to convince us that of all the scriptures of the world, Srimad Bhagavatam, this one Purana, is the topmost presentation of the essence of spiritual knowledge. In other words, there are various Puranas. There's, the, there's first of all the Shruti, Smriti, Purana. So these are reliable sources of knowledge. Uh, Shruti is uh, pretty cryptic. It's in code form, like a simple aphorism, Tatwamasi. You are that. That's the extent of the saying. Oh, where do I begin with that? Or Aham Brahmasmi. So these kinds of statements are there. And what the Puranas do is they put them in a context where we can understand that knowledge. We can, we can relate to it. And there's Puranas mit, written for the advancement of mankind. And those Puranas are presented just as the world is around us. Some people are attracted to goodness, some people are attracted to passion, some people are attracted to ignorance. So the Puranas also fall into those three categories. There are people for pe- there are Puranas for people in the mode of ignorance, for the mode of passion, the mode of goodness. They'll attract those Puranas will attract those kind of mentalities. But then he says there is this Srimad Bhagavatam, this Purana, this Bhagavat Purana, which is just head and shoulders above the rest of them. In fact, all the other Puranas are pointing to this one Purana as containing the topmost knowledge. So if we want to have knowledge, and we recognize that our senses are not the best source of knowledge, and we look to transcendental knowledge, knowledge coming beyond to us from beyond our senses, then this Srimad Bhagavatam is as brilliant as the sun. There's nothing as as truly saturated with transcendence as this Srimad Bhagavatam. So we should take knowledge from there. So if we begin to take knowledge from the Srimad Bhagavatam, it's full of knowledge of the Supreme all kinds of knowledge of the Supreme. Then we, we now know, well, okay, the best thing to know is coming from the best source, and that best thing needs to be seen in a proper light. That takes us to the Bhagavad, Sandarbha, which is where we are now. So we've already studied the Tattva Sandarbha, just to give you some perspective. Now we're in the Bhagavat Sandarbha. In the Bhagavat Sandarbha, all the way through the end of it and then through the end of the Paramatma Sandarbha, deals with one basic verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam. Vedanti tat tatva vidas tatvam yaj janam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavan iti sabjate. People people that really know the truth. They seek out the truth and have different modes of worship. They're all seeking the same 
Advaya Jnana, non-dual absolute knowledge. But according to their mode of worship, some of them think that the topmost manifestation of the absolute truth of the Supreme is all-pervading. That absolute spiritual all-pervading substance is the highest concept of, of the spiritual reality. We refer to that as Brahman realization. And there's a class of transcendentalists, of spiritual seekers, who simply aspire to a full and comprehensive understanding of that approach. Generally, they fall into a category of, we call them knowledge seekers, jnanis. So they concentrate on, on approaching the absolute truth by the acquisition of knowledge which, allow, which allows them to segregate themselves from the world around them. So, gyan, gyan, knowledge. So those seekers of knowledge and their primary objective is that vision of the non-dual absolute as all-pervading spiritual energy. God's everywhere around me and he's equally dispersed everywhere and he doesn't have one of the other things that they recognize is the supreme absolute has none of the shortcomings that I experience in this world and I experience some shortcomings I want to rise above those shortcomings I want to acquire so much knowledge that I'm not bothered by things of this world because there's a lot of things around here that bother me. They take this approach. Let me acquire enough knowledge to see the predicament that I'm in and resolve it in my mind and in my heart. So they, they seek to do this by the acquisition of knowledge and by that knowledge, they gradually detach themselves from the world around them. They lose interest in, in family and friends and job and acquiring money and everything that everybody else gets involved in, they see that it all comes to an end. Ultimately, all that that people aspire to in the world is taken away from them. No matter who they are and what they do, it's all that they endeavor to acquire whether it be talent or money, it's ripped away from them. Why should I waste my time doing any of that? Then there's another spiritual viewpoint. And the other spiritual viewpoint is referred to as Paramatma realization. Not that the Supreme is just energy everywhere, but he actually is energy everywhere that is personally administered. The Brabant concept doesn't look at the Supreme as having any personality. It's not like you can talk to Brabant. You're not going to hear anything back. That concept of spirituality that the Jnani aspires to, there's no discourse. Brabant is just all pervasive spiritual energy. But if you want to have, if you want to talk to the Supreme, then 
there's another approach to that same same thing same absolute spiritual absolute and that is paramatma and you can talk to the supreme if you so there's a class of transcendentalists that aspire to that revelation i want to know god's everywhere i want to know that he's in everything around me i want to know that he's inside me and i want to be able to have a dialogue with him so there's those that class of transcendentalists but their conception of the absolute is localized localized in the environment around the the transcendental seeker the wisdom seeker he's seeking and his viewpoint is to have an audience with that personality of existence that's all pervasive as a person so that's a different so we have now we've talked about two brahmati paramatmati and then there's another transcendentalist that seeks more than just an appreciation for the fact that there is a person behind everything the first transcendentalist just sees there's a spiritual energy in everything the second transcendentalist sees well not only is there a person uh, uh, energy in everything but that, that energy is is controlled it's a controlled energy and i can relate with the controller of that energy the third approach is bhagavan iti subjate bhagavan being a supreme personality that is all that is included in the brahman conception all pervading all localized in me and in everything around me personally and also distinct from that in his own transcendental realm so that's bhagavan and that approach is what that top source of knowledge is spoke is is being presented the bhagavatam the shrimad bhagavatam is presenting that approach as the topmost now the verse we co- quoted virati tat tat bhavidas tatvam yas janam advayam that non-dual absolute is viewed as brahman paramatma and bhagavan according to the mode of worship according to the approach of the spiritual seeker some seek the brahman some seek paramatma and some seek bhagavan jiva goswami who is one of the followers of shri chaitanya mahaprabhu presents his sandarbhas in order to bring out from this one scripture shrimad bhagavatam this concept of bhagavan as being the topmost understanding we can have of transcendence he does this by presenting 
sections of philosophy which are called Anuchedas. And he'll he'll present a, a, a spiritual concept, a spiritual truth regarding some matter of spirituality. And then he will use an evidence, a scriptural evidence, because he's already established in the Tattvasandarbha that if you're going to talk about knowledge, you have to rely on scripture. That's the topmost thing. The scripture you want to rely on has to have descending knowledge. So if you're going to rely on that for, as your source of knowledge, then I'm going to use that source of knowledge. And of all the scriptures, I've determined that Srimad Bhagavatam is the topmost. So that's what we're going to rely on. So what he does is he presents these little compact sections of transcendental knowledge and he uses primarily Srimad Bhagavatam as what's called the Praman, as the evidence for the concept that he's putting forth to us. Fast forward, we're in the Bhagavat Sandarbha, the second of the six Sandarbhas. Now, there are four Sandarbhas that deal with just acquiring knowledge of spirituality. That's called Sambandha. Of those, we have the Tattva Sandarbha, the Bhagavat Sandarbha, the Paramatma Sandarbha, and the Krishna Sandarbha. So we're on the first one, the second Sandarbha dealing with Sambandha Gyan. Then we'll proceed to Paramatma, then to Krishna Sandarbha. So he's going to bring out all these viewpoints, all in relationship to this one verse. Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Sabjate. He's got to tie it all together. Well, you'd say, well, where's the Brahman Sandarbha? He, they don't, Brahman doesn't get a Sandarbha? No, Brahman doesn't need a Sandarbha. Because Brahman, as understood from that spiritual viewpoint, has no qualities. What can you talk about? It, 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 has, it doesn't possess any qualities. It's a concept of the Supreme, which is all-pervasive, but without specificity. So there's nothing specific to talk about. Spiritual energy is everywhere. That's Brahman. We don't need to, to bring out evidences in support of the fact that the spiritual energy is all-pervasive. It has nothing really to talk about. Now in the Tattvasiddharva, he made some effort to show, out, show us some misconceptions about Brahman that are held by some of these spiritual seekers, some of these transcendentalists. You can go and, and study that section of the Sandarbha to see what those misconceptions are regarding Brahman because there's a proper conception and the improper conception. Right now in the world of spiritualists, uh, specifically in India, the misconceptions regarding Brahman and that approach uh, override the proper conceptions because of one very influential spiritual teacher, Sankaracharya, who Krishna personally requested to do that. That's a whole other class. So we'll move forward tonight to our class. Um, in the Bhagavat Sandarbha, we're now in a place where 
the characteristics of Bhagavan, Paramati, Paramatmati, Bhagavat Iti Sabjite, are being brought out. Tonight, the 45th Anucheda, short, short title for it is, uh, The Lord's Body is Eternal and All-Pervading. As I said, Jiva Goswami presents support. He just doesn't say things off the top of his head. True spiritualist has some spiritual backing for anything that he says. So his support for his this section tonight is going to come from the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is his primary praman, his primary evidence is Srimad Bhagavatam. So tonight's discussion will be regarding the Lord's body is eternal and it is all pervading. He's going to use two verses from the Srimad Bhagavatam and he's going to fortify those verses by the commentary of Sridhar Swami. Now we know there's lots of commentaries on the Bhagavatam. My spiritual master wrote a commentary in English, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, and most people take uh, in the Hare Krishna movement, uh, the contemporary Hare Krishna movement, they look to, to Bhaktivedanta's purports as very authoritative on the Srimad Bhagavatam. But he's not the only person to comment on the Bhagavatam. And if you have any knowledge of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, we know that Lord Chaitanya, who started the current movement of Vaishnavism, was very, very favorable towards the commentary of Sridhar Swami, who was an ancient sage. So Jiva Goswami is going to, as he said he was going to do in the Tattvasandarbha, rely on some of Sridhar Swami's viewpoints to bring out the essence of the two verses he's, he's going to use this evening to, to make his point. So, I'm going to read a little bit from this Sandarbha and the verses and get into a little bit of a discussion. So this is Jiva Goswami speaking. Thus it has been established that Bhagavan's form, the Supreme Lord's form, is eternal and all-pervading. Sridhar Swami, speaking of that commentary, commentator, has explained that this is exactly the same way in his commentary on the sixth chapter of the eighth canto, which he summarizes in verse four. So he's telling us that I'm going to use Sridhar Swami's approach to two verses from the Srimad Bhagavatam to give you a deeper understanding of this idea that I'm trying to convey to you, that the Lord's body is eternal and it's everywhere. Thus in the last few sections, Srila Jiva Goswami has shown that Bhagavad's form is one, eternal and all-pervading. This is the conclusion of the Vedas, Vedanta Sutra, Smritis and the sages as well. To further strengthen this point, he now refers to Sridhar Swami, the well-known commentator and authority on Srimad Bhagavatam, who is accepted even by the followers of Sankaracharya. So even the people that concentrate on that misunderstanding of Brahman, 
that one approach to spirituality, they they read Sridhar Swami. Now it's an interesting thing that Jiva Goswami and his Tattvasandarva said, I'm going to use Sridhar Swami's commentary except for the places in his commentary where he puts forth the impersonal concept of the absolute because I'm not going to concentrate on that. There's nothing, there's nothing of value there in the impersonal concept of the absolute which, which, a, which a sincere and serious spiritual seeker would want to pursue in comparison to knowledge of the personal aspect. If you have knowledge that God is a person and you can develop a loving relationship with him, why would you even take any interest in an impersonal concept? Because in the world of man, our own experience is love trumps all. There's nothing that gives us more pleasure than to fall in love, to be in love, and to express love through our life, through our work, through everything. That's the most fulfilling to us in this world. We shouldn't think that spiritual life is anything different. So a little story here. There's a Muni, a great sage. His name is Dorvas. Dorvas Muni is, is a great sage. But he also has a temperament, just like all of us have a certain temperament. And his temperament is such that he's a sage and he likes to give benedictions, but he has a bit of a temper. You don't want to really set this guy off. It's not a good idea. So Durvas went to Vaikuntha. And he, the spiritual world, that's what sages can do. This is from the Vishnu Purana, this narration. So he came back and he entered into the material universe again. And he had brought back from the spiritual world a flower garland that had been worn by the Supreme Lord Narayan in the spiritual world. And when he entered the material world, he saw a great god of the world, of man. His name's Indra. And Indra, he, Indra, he met Indra out of respect for Indra, this god, man-god. He offered him this garland from Vishnu, coming from the spiritual world. Indra was a little bit, how do we say, he's a little puffed up that day, feeling, feeling, feeling proud of himself, proud of his position, proud of his wealth, and he didn't hold a lot of stock in a flower garland. So he tossed it, and Indra, you know, I'm sure you've seen movies and stuff, sometimes men ride on elephants, and Indra rides on an elephant. So he took the flower garland and he threw it on the head of his elephant, and it didn't stay there, it fell off. And in falling off, his elephant, Aravata, he trampled on that flower garland of Vishnu's that Dorvas Muni had brought back from the spiritual realm. 
as I said, Dorvas Mooney, he's easily angered, and he became angry. And being a great sage, he he cast dispersions. Well, great sages, when they cast their dispersions, there's power there. So he basically cursed Indra to lose his position, to lose his opulence, and to lose his beauty. Indra is the king of heaven. He's in charge of all the other gods in heaven. He's also in charge of the reigns, and there's another story where he also became a little full of himself in a relationship with Krishna, but that's another story. So in this story, Indra, he was a loss. What could I do? How could I get my position back? This sage just cursed me. I took all my, I lost all my wealth. I lost my position. I lost, I lost everything. So, of course, the demigods generally, when they get in trouble, there's they can go to the creator of the universe. So they, so Indra went to Brahma. And he asked Brahma, can you help me out here? I'd really like to, you know, get my place back. So Brahma and Shiva, with Shiva, he approached, they approached Vishnu. They're very spiritually potent. They were able to see the supreme lord of the world that's located locally, not in our heart, but also he's like, he's like the same God. There's a lot of theology there. But anyway, um, they approached Vishnu, and they, they're the only people that could see him because they have that much spiritual acumen. They said they offered prayers. Generally, when you see someone of great stature like that or you meet God, the first thing you're going to do is, is, is offer some. Well, if nothing, you're just going to, you're at least going to, offer some obeisance, you're going to say, oh, anyway, uh, and there's some etiquette there, so generally you also offer a prayer after you've offered your uh, respects. So these prayers are being used as the evidence for the point Jiva Goswami's making. These prayers that are in the Bhagavatam, in relationship to this particular incident that I just relayed to you, and then commented upon by Srimad uh, Sridhar Swami. This is from the 8th canto of the Bhagavatam. So first we'll take a comment from Sridhar Swami in relation to the prayers. This is from the Bhavartha, Dapika. This is a particular commentary. His is called, everybody has different names for the commentary that they give to the Bhagavatam. So Sridhar Swami's commentary, Bhavartha Dapika. Brahma establishes that the Lord's body is eternal and all-pervading by saying, It is not that the Lord's body did not exist previously and has appeared now, but it existed before and has only now become visible. So the, the actual verse from the Bhagavatam in English reads like this, I respectfully, respectfully bow down to you, so Brahma's bowing down to Vishnu, who's manifested before him. So you can imagine God just shows up out of nowhere. And it's, he didn't need to come in the door. 
It just appears before you. Maybe you can't imagine. There's a country song that says, you can only imagine. I can only imagine. I respectfully bow down to you who are most exalted, who have never been subject to birth, continuation or dissolution, who transcend the material gunas, who are an ocean of bliss in the form of complete cessation of material existence, who are finer than the atom and whose abodes are beyond counting. This simple verse seems like we can understand everything that's there. It's pretty straightforward. Now we're going to pick it apart and see how much transcendent knowledge is in it first through the vision of Sridhar Swami and then expand upon that a little bit. So Sridhar Swami in his commentary on this verse says the following Your divine body becomes visible but does not undergo birth and so on as is the case with us. Everybody here did any of you not take birth. So he's saying, you appear, but you didn't have to take birth. And so on, as is the case with us. So you just appeared on the scene of your own energy. You didn't need a father, you didn't need a mother, you, you just, here you are. And you're allowing me to converse with you, to offer prayers to you. How amazing is that? To convey this, Brahma says, you who, are ne who have never been subject to birth, continuance, or dissolution. Why is that? Because you transcend the material gunas. Agunaya. So this verse, agunaya, is in the text. And are thus an ocean of bliss in the form of complete cessation of of material existence, nirvana. In other words, you are the embodiment of the unlimited bliss of liberation, moksha. However, you are finer than the atom, i.e. extremely subtle, due to being difficult to comprehend. Factually speaking, your abodes are beyond counting. There is no way to calculate the number of your forms. It is not to be thought impossible that such a person exists because you are most exalted, Mahanubhava. Your magnificence is inconceivable and to such a being as you, unto, unto such a being as you, I bow down. So we're going to look at some of the words that Brahma used and go a little bit deeper into how much knowledge about that personal concept of the absolute truth Bhagavan is included in this one simple verse from Brahma so one of the words there is stiti continuance what did Brahma say who have never been subject to birth continuance or dissolution so what's this continuance? How do we need to look at this 
Sanskrit word stiti, which means something that continues, refers to a state of an object after it has come into being. So once something's come into being, it continues. Since the Lord does not come into being because he's not created, how do we how are we to look to this word continuance? You're never subject to birth, never subject to continuance, but do we have any experience of anything in our sensual world like that? That's just there, but didn't this not subject to continuance to go forward. So there's three terms, birth, continuance, and dissolution uh, are being brought out. A created object comes into existence, but before it comes into existence, before someone creates it, it doesn't exist. And then again, it lasts for some time, and then it stops existing after it's destroyed. Whatever we see in the world, everything goes through this birth, continuance or existence for some time and then it's not around anymore whether it be you and me or a pot or a house doesn't matter what it is in this world everything has a beginning it comes into existence it lasts for some time Brahma says to this person that's manifested before him he says I know who you are you're the absolute truth. But you don't. You're not subject to this. Now another <clears throat> word in the verse. Nirvana. Nirvana. An ocean of bliss. Nirvana. So this is an important concept in being that's being applied to the form of the absolute truth that's just manifest before Brahma. You're an ocean of bliss. He doesn't say you're a drop of joy. He's making a point here that when we have this concept of the absolute truth where there is the possibility of the exchange of a loving relationship, that loving relationship is an ocean of joyfulness. Whereas in the Brahman concept of the absolute truth it's like a drop of joy there's quite a difference between a drop and an ocean and that's why Brahma has used this specific way of addressing the supreme calling him an ocean of bliss playing into the fact that if somebody can have a relationship with this personal form that I'm now experiencing standing before me, that's an ocean of joyfulness compared to the joyfulness that I can have simply contemplating the fact that I'm spiritual. Imagine the difference between just contemplating the fact that I'm not of this world, I'm a spiritual person. I know I'm going, you know, just all those concepts that can bring us to a realization of our self, Brahman, 
I am that. I am spiritual energy. The difference between that and actually having an audience with a, the Supreme Person, that's what Brahma's conveying here by the use of this word, word nirvana. Anur Amane. Amnani, I'm, I'm sorry. Anur Anime. Anime. Finer than the atom is the definition of the Sanskrit. The Lord is infinitesimally, infinitesimally smaller than, than we are. In a spiritual, if you're going to measure things spiritually. Now the sages, it's hard to measure how big our soul is. But they say that the particle of spiritual energy that is able to, that is our self is one ten thousandths the size of the tip of one of our hairs. One ten thousandths. Brahma here is saying that you are infinitesimally small because you can enter in to me as all as all pervaded all pervasive. Paramatma. Imagine entering into the smallest measurement of anything. That's how small the Supreme is. Then he goes on to say, Aparigana Dumne. The same verse. You're so small that you can enter into me, uh, but your form's immeasurable. Now, everything we have experience of, we can put a ruler to. Even the modern scientists, they can tell you how far, how wide the galaxy is, how many billions of light years in distance one, any, any globe out there in the night sky that they can perceive, that we can perceive with our eye, what to speak of what they can perceive with their eye, or what they can perceive by going beyond the atmosphere with some satellite so they can measure all these distances but Brahma says you who are standing in front of me are so small that you can enter into the essence of my being and you are so large that I can't measure you but yet here you are we've discussed Jiva's already given us some indication of that's one of the characteristics of the Supreme. He can have contradictory energies within himself. So the smaller than the smallest and the bigger than the biggest, well, if you're God, you can be both at the same time. The thinkers of uh, Vedic thinkers, they, they have a way of looking at everything. And they basically look the Nyaya Shastra, the Shastra of logic, looks at everything and it can say it can either be infinitesimal, it can be medium sized, or it can be infinite. The Supreme is all three. We like him when he's medium sized. That way we can wrap our arms around him. By his Achinta Shakti the Lord manifests all three sizes.
simultaneously. This is the significance of the word Mahanubhava or one who has great opulence. So this is a little introduction to this 45th Anucheta and we'll continue next class to look at another verse of the same section of prayers by Brahma and Sridhar's commentary and we'll elaborate a little bit more. So are there any questions? Thank you so much for your association. Thank you.